0: Thanks, Kenny, for your prayer and uh, reading. Uh, this morning, I'd like your eyes to focus on this phrase that Paul writes, partnership in the gospel. Uh, partnering with people who um, seek similar outcomes is fairly common these days. I hear that verb partner all the time. And this made me think of all the people and groups and ministries Southside partners with throughout the year. Every Monday and Thursday nights, we partner with Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous. In hopes that someone will experience freedom from addiction. They meet in our building every week. Every fall, I believe it is, it might be the spring, that we partner with Habitat for Humanity to provide housing to a deserving family. We partner with Whetstone Boys Ranch to bring healing to families who are at the end of their rope. We partner with Bluegrass Christian Camp to impact um biblical truth, to implant biblical truth into our children. We partner with the Hope Lodge and a Ronald McDonald House to give people a little hope through a meal and a Bible study. We partner with Miss Kathy's Place to bring light to an impoverished neighborhood. And in the same way Paul considered these believers in Philippi to be his partners in the gospel, Um, they worked together well. They, They learned from each other. They helped each other out. They laughed and they cried and they prayed and they worshiped together. And every time Paul thought about his friends in Philippi, he thanked them. He thanked God for the opportunity uh, to know them. Paul is thankful to be partners in the gospel with them. So I want to put the spotlight on three of the people who were likely a part of the church at Philippi, three people who became very unlikely partners in the gospel, three people who were very unlikely to even hang out with each other except for a partnership anchored in Jesus So let's pick up the story after a significant event in Jerusalem occurs where some big decisions were made regarding opening the door wide enough to welcome Gentiles into the church family. And when the meeting in Jerusalem ends, Paul and his crew, they head out to let people know about this decision, which uh, significantly impacts the Gentiles. When they get to Philippi, they look for a synagogue on the Sabbath day. But instead of a synagogue, they find a women's prayer group. And this small prayer group is where Paul first meets a woman by the name of Lydia. Lydia is from another city, but she has a house in Philippi. She appears to be fairly wealthy. She works in the fashion industry. She's the CEO of her own company. Lydia was also a worshiper of God, which means she had rejected paganism and polytheism. She doesn't believe there are many gods. She believes there is one God. And Lydia is trying to figure out how to live her life within the context of her culture uh, and her business and her family. And that's why she's taking time out to pray with her friends. All these women are looking for divine direction in their lives. Lydia is a bright woman. She is a seeker. She knows God gave the law. She's a student of the Torah. She's familiar with the Ten Commandments. And she knows she hasn't kept the law. And all of this is going on inside of her head when Paul shows up. Paul seems to engage Lydia's intellect. She listens closely to Paul's teaching. And we read this line from Luke as the two of them talked. The Lord opened her heart to the gospel. And what's true for Lydia is also true for me. I would never have had an opportunity to say yes to Jesus if God had not opened my heart to the gospel. Lydia believes what Paul tells her about Jesus, and she decides to be baptized that day along with all of her household. Lydia becomes part of the church at Philippi. The next person we meet in Luke's journal of Paul's visit to Philippi couldn't be more unlike Lydia. This is all in Acts 16. I want to read verses 16 to 19. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling... This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So where Lydia lives with resources at her disposal, this girl doesn't have any of that. She's impoverished. She is exploited. She's enslaved. She's a bit irrational. She seems to be highly annoying. And check out how God through Paul meets her where she is. It's not through reason. It's not through a Bible study like it was with Lydia. This girl is following Paul and his crew around town. Wherever they go, she goes. They go south, she goes south. They stop for lunch, she stops for lunch. They make a late night visit, she's right there with them. From dawn till midnight, she never leaves their sphere, announcing their arrival all along the way, proclaiming who they are and why they're here. She's like political ads during the campaign season, the nonstop noise. And Luke tells us, word for word, she kept this up for many days. Paul Though a patient man becomes so annoyed with her incessant present and loud mouth that he kicks the spirit out of her, which was in her. And when that spirit is gone, there are no more announcements, no more proclamations, no more incessant noise, no more blowhorn. This young girl can do can go on to live a normal life away from these men who owned her. And Luke doesn't tell us this, but I'd like to believe that there's a good chance that this young girl becomes part of the church in Philippi. Along with Lydia. Now, because of what Paul did for this teenage girl, he and Silas end up in prison. I'm not sure where Timothy and Luke are, there's no word of them being locked up as well. But let's pick up this uh, narrative in Acts 16 and verse 20. They, that is the guys who used to make money off of this servant girl for fortune telling, they brought them, that's Paul and Silas, before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. the, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, you may think of stocks as the contraption which kind of holds your you know, hands in place in your head and you lock the, the big piece of wood down on that uh, part of your body. This is more likely a bit more intense than that setup. In the first century Roman Empire, stocks were a torture device. Stocks would contort your body into a severely uh, uncomfortable position. You would experience excruciating pain and, and muscle cramps would be extreme. And did you notice... The jailer isn't directed to put his prisoners in stocks. He's directed to keep them safe. He does that on his own. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, the singing business may have been about as annoying to the jailer as the young girl's loudspeaker business was to Paul. And maybe that's the reason they're in stocks. The jailer may have grown annoyed with their singing, but regardless of the reason, the boys didn't stop their singing, and they didn't stop their praying verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open he drew a sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted don't harm yourself we're all here. The jailer called for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas and then they brought them out and asked sirs what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had become to believe in God, he and his whole family. I mean, that's, a, that's a pretty unique conversion story. The jailer's experience was not like Lydia's, nor was it like the young slave girl. Uh, This guy is a blue-collar mercenary manning a cell door. He wants to put in his time, punch out the clock, go home, take his paycheck to the bank. He's probably not sitting around pondering the deeper issues of life. In Rome, if a prisoner escapes under your watch, the punishment is death. And when the doors all open, with that earthquake, this jailer is ready to take his life himself. He assumes all the prisoners have run out of the building and he'll never catch up with any of them. But Paul leads him down a different road. He tells him about Jesus. And then this guy is baptized along with his entire household and he becomes part of the Philippian church. So these three people, Lydia, the wealthy, influential CEO, this young, unemployed slave girl, and the jailer, who's thankful to still have a job, they all become very unlikely partners in the gospel, along with Paul. And Paul misses the people in Philippi. He has great memories of his time there. He knows Lydia. He remembers the slave girl. He's writing to the jailer and his family, and he says, I thank God every time I remember you. Just like the Philippians, we have the opportunity to be partners in the gospel with each other, and with God. There's a lot of good stuff that goes on around here. Uh, Some of this good stuff is easy for everyone to see. Much of what goes on isn't seen by everyone. So today we want to take a look at a few of those unseen things which are going on. And my goal is for every one of you to feel like you're a partner in these things. You don't have to participate in kids' own worship to be a partner in it. You don't have to join the college students on a spring break to be a partner in the campus ministry. You don't have to experience a youth retreat to be a partner in the youth ministry. Your prayers, your financial support help make these kind of opportunities happen around here. You're already a partner in all of it. These events don't happen without your committed support and engagement. Today, I'd like you to hear about a few specifics regarding what goes on uh, with the Southside family. So we'll consider this a, a family meeting. We're going to pull the curtain back a little bit and take a brief behind-the-scenes look at a few ministries you may not not know much about. To get us started, we put together a short video highlighting the value of our children's ministry, uh, our youth, and our campus ministry. So watch this video just to get an up-close and personal look at the impact of these ministries. is this not going to work. <laughs> okay. We can cut that. <laughs> That's unfortunate. <laughs> um, how can I wing this? <laughs> that's not my gift <laughs> uh, we had a um, so what you were going to see is just some, some of our children and our parents just you know going uh, they, were, they were letting you know about what goes on in kids on worship and the children's ministry how it's impacting our kids we had a couple of kids on there telling you what they've learned about Jesus lately which it was sweet you would like that Um uh, <laughs> Had a couple of college students. Riley was going to talk about the youth ministry a little bit, and she did a great job. She's, she came here uh, f- with when Camden started coming as our intern, and Riley's like, "I don't think I want to do that." And Camden's like, "You need to give this group a try." So she came, fell in love with Carly, and <laughs> and has never left. Right? No, just real thankful for what goes on. Then we had a couple of college students over here to talk. By the way, they just got back from Saint Simon's Island in uh, Georgia for spring break, working with Habitat for Humanity. And a couple of those guys talked about the benefit of the the Bible study that they have with Evan each week, and just Encounter, where there was a young lady that talked about Encounter, which is the meeting on campus that goes on each week. So it would be much better to hear it from them, but you you got to hear it from me a little bit. Uh, Next, I'd like to share some about our world missions focus. Uh, This is a big part of our story each year. Uh, our missions team has made our personal, personal involvement a top priority. Uh, we don't simply want to send money. We don't only want to be a funding source. We want to know the missionaries we support, and we want to be partners in the gospel with them. So we send people. We send people across the planet. In 2022, we sent two people to Nigeria, uh, three people to Honduras, and 37 people to Croatia. Along with that, four of our missionaries visited us here. In 2023, we plan to send people who are in this room to Honduras, uh, Chile, Kenya, the Philippines. Uh, Alvin Cox and David Eberhard and Jan Taylor just returned from a trip to Chile uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And we want people to go to these places, not, so, not only so we can offer help. We want people to go to be impacted by their experience. Uh, Joshua and Susan Samples, I've asked them to talk for a moment, have, are, are both on our missions team. They've also been on a couple of international trips and a few spring break trips when they were much much younger. Um, I've asked them to talk about the benefit of investing time and money to go on one of these trips, just as adults. And I've also asked them to talk a moment about the benefit they've seen in their teenagers going. So this involves no technology, so this will work. <laughs>
1: As Kevin mentioned, our missions experiences really started, thank you, Greg, with the cats group in college. Kevin and Mary took us to the far-flung reaches of Texas and Florida to work with children, pass out flyers, paint murals, and hammer hurricane straps onto a house being built with Habitat for Humanity. We stayed with local families and once at a local hostel. Yes, all the things you just imagined about a hostel, that's what it was like. As adults with small children, we didn't go on mission trips. Instead, we entered into the service opportunities that God brought to us in our local community and here in our church. These are good things, too. We settled into something much more like friendship and much less like a mission. As our children got older, it became more feasible for us to travel on mission trips again. In the past several years, one or more of our family have been to eastern Kentucky, central Missouri, Croatia, and Chile. The Lord has used these trips to shape us in a thousand different ways, and as our children have grown and have accompanied us on trips, he has enriched us individually and as a family. Tradition has it that a mission trip involves work, and I guess it does. But in our experience, the work of relationship building is just as important as the manual labor. We've learned that our missionary friends often appreciate our company just as much as they appreciate our strong backs and our helping hands. In a lot of ways, missionaries live outside of their comfort zones, a place where a little bit of encouragement goes a long way. Singing songs in English, sharing stories of God's goodness, and bringing a bit of home are small things that work big wonders.
2: We've also seen that while cultures and customs vary from place to place, God is active everywhere. It is an awesome gift to stand in a church in another country listening to singing in a language that you can't understand with people whose lives are different from your own and yet to know without a doubt that God is there. God is bigger than our differences. Uh, he transcends cultures and connects us to people around the world and takes us to the hearts of people where we can find common ground in him. It's a privilege to serve on, on trips as a family and a blessing to watch your children put in the time and effort to serve God. We have had a front row seat to watch our kids take on responsibilities and tasks that were beyond their years and maturity, and we've gotten to watch as the Lord has worked in them to reach out to people with Christ in mind. We have seen that God has things for our kids that are good and that he will provide for their needs even when they do hard things. And he has used mission trips to enrich their experiences, their perspectives, and their hearts for others, and we've gotten to watch. The point of any service at home or far away is to join God in his work. Sometimes this feels wonderful. Sometimes it feels difficult. God uses every bit of it for his glory. The real privilege of anything done in service to the Lord, whether it be in our neighborhoods or far away from home, is knowing that God has done something and he let you be part of it. The real grift is is growing closer to the Lord. We've seen this play out in our lives and the lives of our children, and we're grateful for that.
0: And don't take my stuff. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. <laughs> I appreciate you all doing that. You know, I, I believe our next trip uh, that we're opening the doors for you all to go on is to Honduras. Uh, it's in June, the middle of June, I believe. In fact, if you're interested, there's a, a meeting that's happening next Sunday at 2 o'clock. So if you have any remote possibility of being interested in that, come on by and see, see what that's about. Another person I'd like you to hear from is Melissa Dyer. Melissa is our newly appointed women's ministry leader. For as long as I can remember, our women's ministry has been a subcategory of adult life, kind of on the org chart, and it's not the best fit. And we've wanted to establish a separate ministry targeted for women for many years. And finally, we've had an open door to do that. So Melissa is going to share with you some of the potential scope of, uh, of this ministry to women.
3: So, growing up, I was surrounded by many godly women. Um, Thinking back, my mom was one of those women. Um, Although my mom was an introvert by nature, she was an extrovert at serving, especially (laughs) in the church. Um, Some of my distinct memories were her um, teaching Sunday school class, fixing meals for the sick, Attending Ladies Bible class and just being an example for those around her. In 2020, our lives and our world dramatically changed when we were told that we needed to isolate ourselves in our homes. Now, for some of us, um, we welcomed that silence, while others, the silence was maddening. But as time went on, I think all of us longed for uh, a community. So let's fast forward to the spring of 2022. Through the work of Karen Kaufman, Caitlin Mouton, Grace Johnson, and others, an awakening began to bring a sense of purpose and community um, with the first IF gathering here at Southside. Now, this event helped to spark a longing for something more as a community of women within a larger Southside family. Throughout the remainder of 2022, there were some intentional meetings to develop some general principles to guide our Southside women's ministry. Um, Southong Hedman and Taylor Forrest have graciously said they will serve alongside me as this ministry continues to evolve. The overall goal of the women's ministry here at Southside is to provide opportunities for women to consistently and intentionally spend time in the Bible with each other, in conversation, relationship building, mutual support, and encouragement. So some opportunities that have started, which many of us probably know of, um, some may not. We are having a Sunday morning Bible class, which is studying the last part of Genesis. Um, There's a Women on Wednesday Bible class. We also have a Ladies Book Club that um, Susan Samples and Mary Wooten, Um, They meet once a month. We're going to have the IF gathering, which is going to happen on April the 21st and 22nd, which I know more information is coming next week. Um, We're planning a summer gathering um, for women on June the 23rd with more details to come as that um, comes closer. Other things that have been proposed is having a mentoring of young mothers with seasoned women of the congregation um, possibly developing a babysitting list for teenagers and college students that can provide um, that service for young parents in the congregation Um, we're also thinking about um, having a women's retreat so these are some things that that are kind of um, we're working on things are um, taking shape and so these women specific events are crucial to help us to convince continue to build a community, but we don't need to forget that we are part of Southside Congregation as a whole. So with that being said, serving other ministries in our midst will also help us build a strong community of believers. So helping the children's ministry with teaching classes or being a part of children's church helping with our congregation-wide events, with our hospitality team, or even asking families um, in our homes to develop stronger and deeper relationships beyond our walls. As we heard in Kevin's, Kevin's message, Philippians 1, 3 through 6, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus.
0: Thanks, Melissa. Appreciate that. Um, we have a very unique church family because we, en- we enjoy a great amount of health. Our leaders get along well and work together. Uh, we don't experience divisiveness, power plays, ultimatums, manipulations from anybody uh, we seem to have a steady stream of new people interested in seeing what's going on here, especially younger families. Uh, if you count our online viewers, we have about the same number of people here on Sunday as we were having uh, prior to COVID. So we're in a good spot. Hopefully whatever God may want for us in the next couple of years, we'll be ready for. A few of you might be interested in a really brief uh, financial update. The bottom line, we're, we're pretty healthy financially as well. Um, your generosity is overwhelming to me, and I, I just, I'm thankful for that, and I, I just keep it up. It's, it's amazing. We received more funds in 2023 donations than we ever have in the history of this church. Um, here's a bar graph which summarizes 2022. The first bar is our 2022 actual expenses. Uh, the second bar is what we planned to budget, or what we budgeted to spend last year, And the third bar is how much we received in donations last year. So we spent a little more than we budgeted. We received more than we budgeted. And we had a surplus of about $60,000 in 2022, which we would have budgeted to spend if we known it was coming. (laughs) Uh, But we didn't. Our goal several years ago was to have one year's worth of expenses on reserve in case things like COVID happen or financial collapse and you know we will we'll be okay and we have that so there's no more need to, to put money in that bucket so the shepherds have asked our ministry leaders to be looking for ways to bless people and identify a few projects with these surplus funds you have when you came in today you received a piece of paper on the one side of that is a uh, copy of the t- 2023 ministry budget uh, here are a couple of things to notice I'd just like you to know this we have increased the youth budget by about 15% from last year because more kids are showing up and things cost more and we don't want that to we want everybody to come and feel free to bring friends we've increased the caring and sharing budget by $10,000 because we know of people who need a little more uh, help and most of that budget is for people in, in our church family who, who just need that help from us uh, we increased the mission budget by 30000 which makes it about, I think it's 130000 now, which is pretty good. It's about 13% of the, the total budget. And we did that because it just seems wise and best. That group of people uh, do a great job with what we allocate in their direction. Alvin is a tremendous leader in that missions team. So this year, our budget on a weekly basis is $18,600. It's about a 5% increase over last year. There's one more deal I want to tell you about. We've built a relationship with the Doctor's Park owners the past few years because we pay a monthly fee to use their lot on Sundays. The Doctor's Park, if you're not familiar, is not this next property right there that you can look out the window, but the next one. So it's just two properties to the north. Back in the fall, totally unexpected, Dr. Saunders, a retired ophthalmologist from the Doctor's Park, sent us a letter. He and Dr. Amy Midkiff, who's a dentist that still practices over there, offered to donate an office condo Uh, which they co-owned, to Southside. They'd been trying to sell or lease it for a while without much luck. Um, After having a few inspections done on that property, we decided to accept that property as a gift from them. So now, suite 104 at the Doctor's Park, a 2,800-square-foot basement uh, dungeon, (laughs) (laughs) suite, suite dungeon, (laughs) Uh, belongs to Southside, as well as, this is the bigger deal, uh, parking privileges for the future—that's that's significant. Um, we have 96 parking spots in our lot. They have 250, so we need that. So um, we don't really have plans for that. We don't—you know—God hadn't told us anything that there was no burning bush that came with that letter to tell us what to do. So you may have some creative ideas to use that space. If you do, if you might know that, let me know. We'd be love to hear that. Perhaps we could rent it out to a nonprofit at a really good rate. It's not costing us hardly anything to own this thing. Uh, maybe a new ministry involving some of you all could pop up. I mean, nobody saw this coming. Nobody. It, it needs a little work, so some of the surplus will be helpful in that area, but we just need to find out what God wants us to do with this gift that he laid in our lap. Before I wrap this up, I'd like for each of you to take a look at the other side of the paper that you received, a list of volunteer opportunities available to you. Uh, If you'd like your partnership in the gospel to be something more than helping to pay to make things happen, uh, check out a few of these different ways that you can plug in. Maybe there's something on the sheet that you would enjoy doing. Maybe there's something on the sheet that, that you need stretched a bit to do. That's a good thing. Maybe there's something on the sheet you'd like to learn more about. If you see something like that, just check the box, uh, fill in your details, your information there that we're asking, and just leave it on your chair this morning. We'll pick all these up uh, when, when, the, when this is empty. Uh, and one of the ministry leaders will contact you. If you'd like to take it home, look it over, think about it, have some conversations with that ministry leader. Their emails are on that sheet too. Feel free to contact them with your questions, and uh, they'll be glad to answer that. We are all partners in the gospel of Christ. Everyone is welcome to join this partnership. Even before we said yes to Jesus, this text in Philippians 1 tells us he was, he was working on us. God was working on us. Even before we had anything, we had an awareness of that going on. Um, nobody is an exception. If Jesus doesn't draw us, we don't have a chance. We're all in the same boat. Everyone who says yes to Jesus is a child of the king. And this king doesn't play favorites. I'm not loved less because of my failures. And you're not loved more because of your achievements. Uh, Our partnership is in the gospel and because of the gospel. It's because of Jesus. He died for our sins. God raised him from the dead. And we're partners in this together. We're partners with the believers in Nigeria, in Croatia, in the Philippines, in Chile, in Honduras. We're partners with Bluegrass Christian Camp. Weststone Boys Ranch Child Place Potter's Children's Home Habitat for Humanity and we're partners with the person sitting next to us because of the gospel God will continue to do his good work in us until the day Jesus returns and because of the gospel you and I have been given a place to belong so together let's see what God will do through our church family next let's stand and sing together one
3: heart.